Hello, and welcome to Wonderstruck. I am your host, Elizabeth Rovier. I'm a clinical psychologist, a yoga teacher, and a graduate of Harvard Divinity School. I'm really curious about our experiences of wonder and awe and how they transform us. My guest on our debut episode is Fern Cotton. Fern is an iconic London-based television and radio presenter, a best-selling author, and an award-winning podcast host. As Fern reveals, she has a long and fascinating history with exploring and expanding her own consciousness, while opening doors for others to reflect publicly and profoundly on critical topics like mental health, self-discovery, intuition, and empowerment. So listen in as Fern opens up to our new Wonderstruck community, that's you, about using ancient wisdom to solve modern problems, shedding the skepticism and self-doubt that inhibits personal growth, and how to unlock trapped energy by writing a letter and lighting it on fire. We're really, really so thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. Oh, I've been listening you. to your voice, and it's nice to, to see you and hear you in person. And I'm so glad that we can do podcasting face-to-face -face now, oh, because God, I was really so nice. bored of Zoom. There's nothing like actually being with someone and sensing what they're, what's really going on with them, and you can't get the full picture on Zoom. You really do miss that that in-person experience where, you know, I, I'm trained as a clinical psychologist, and it's just... It was hard to do things on Zoom, like in, you know, working with a client or running a group, because you just can't see everything that's really happening. Mm. So you have said that writing your most recent book, Bigger Than Us, changed your life. As the title implies, the book is about recognizing that we are, as you have said, a small dot within a small dot in this vast universe. So much is bigger than we are. And it's all very humbling. You mentioned how to connect to that which is greater through prayer, ritual, ceremony, or by engaging the intuition. And you've said this has led to self-discovery, empowerment, and a greater sense of freedom and well-being. So such practice is not often easy, but it's extremely powerful and rewarding. Would you be willing to talk about some challenges you encountered while embracing prayer and ritual and ceremony and so forth? Of course. It was... Probably the most fascinating process to write that book. Mm. And part of that was the timing because we were in the pandemic, but also I was uh, approaching my 40th birthday. So I was sort of quite reflective naturally anyway and, and looking back on what had been and why certain things had happened and then looking at my own behaviour and having that sort of awareness, you know, how much of my own, you know, whether they're flaws or stumbling blocks in life, um, have informed, you know, how I am today, who I am today, what I'm doing today. I'm being really accountable for it as much as I could. I could sort of sense approaching my 40th, but I knew I was trapping myself in some ways and I was sort of limiting my experiences of life in some ways, my connection with other people in in certain dynamics. And I was like, what is that? Why am I doing that? You know, why am I capping my joy or whatever it is? And I think it's different for everybody. It might, you know, for me, it was certainly, there was some, some weird guilt in there about really enjoying myself and an element of not believing I deserved certain good outcomes and good things in life. And there was a whole host of other sort of moments of confusion in that reflection. And I, I kind of knew, you know, for years and years, the way to tackle 
that stuff is looking to things that have been around forever. So looking into sort of esoteric practices and um, theories or books, whatever it might be. So I went about contacting a few people that I already knew and had sort of dynamics with, um, shamans, thought leaders, all sort of different people from different walks of life. And then some I met weirdly through, through the process of writing the book. These people kept sort of just landing in my life at the right time. Like, oh, why is this person showing up? This, it was so weird and serendipitous at times. I think one of the um, sort of most powerful chapters to write or certainly themes to explore was the ritual and ceremony chapter mm. because I didn't, I never really tapped into that properly. You know, I'm from a sort of regular working class family in the UK, not religious in, in any sense. Obviously in the UK, we don't have as many, I don't know, historic rituals that are sort of still around today, sadly. I mean, obviously they were, there were loads of amazing rituals and ceremonies and practices that even sat outside of religion, but they've since been sort of diminished somewhat. Yeah. So I, I really went about learning from um, this wonderful lady, Alex, who's in the book, who's, she's from Ecuador, but she spends lots of time throughout the year in Mexico with the elders and the grandmas. And she just learns as much as she can while she's there. And she just very willingly taught me some beautiful practices and and ways to move past a lot of these old patterns and this baggage I was sort of lugging around. And I really need to actually, now I'm saying this out loud, get back into doing these things more regularly. Was it like a meditation type of practice? Well, actually, the one that I found deeply powerful was writing a letter. There was two letters. There was one to the universe about what I wanted for the book. Oh. And every time I would sit and write, I would light a candle and put it atop that letter. Nice. Then there was another one to myself, which flew out of me because I was like, I know all the stuff that I'm getting wrong. I know all the boundaries and the things I've created for myself. And I had to write just freely things I wanted to change and things I was aware of, whatever. And then, Alex, we did a session together where I took the letter in an envelope and I sort of wiped it over my physical body sort of mm. like moving where the energy felt trapped especially yeah. it was sort of more intuitive like where do I feel it and that went that was quite meditative that was maybe half an hour of doing that because she was like no keep going keep going so like symbolically and literally yeah, letting it go yeah, like getting it getting it like my stuff gets caught up here yes, somewhere yes, like my, yes. below my neck I can feel it yeah. there sometimes it can be jaw head but it's quite chesty sort of here and then I burned the letter which obviously there's oh, lots wow, of symbolism around fire and yes. and light and then caught the ashes in a small pot and then took them to a little flower bed you could do it in your garden or a park and scattered the ashes covered it with soil and then lay gifts for the earth so yeah like cacao and flowers and you could put anything down you want little gems or stones or anything that you believe would be a lovely offering for the land and and then you let all of that grow and turn into the the soil to help with nurturing the plants and the flowers and it was just a nice cycle to to work through really powerful like some you know I didn't want this book to be sort of like either sort of yeah really far out or you know like weird or whatever yeah. 
so many weird things happened during the writing of that book that I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, this is inexplicable. What is going on? Exactly. Yeah. What is going on? I mean, there's so What's many things on? that you said that were striking to me. One is that, like, just that process, right, of having it come off and through your body and writing the letter and then burning it, right? Yes. The transformation, putting it into the earth for something else to grow out of it. And then you're like, and these things are happening and I don't know how to, I don't even know how to understand it. To me, it's just, as you're talking, it's just like sort of this opening and this growth process of awareness of things that we're capable of. And then you talk about this person, Alex, who is speaking to the elders. And it's like, that's great. Thank you for speaking to the elders instead of like ignoring the elders. They're like the we ones do. that know everything. That know everything. And it's their, like, this is not, you know, like me doing it a few times a year. This is their daily practice. Yes. They wouldn't dare get into the sea before they'd laid a flower in it or put some sort of offering. And we take all this for granted. Like, I'm going for a right. swim in the sea. See you later. Yeah. We jump in the sea like we we just can. And it's like, we haven't said, hello, this is what I try and do in the UK when like, I love sea swimming, even when it's freezing and it is freezing here. <laughs> to get in the water and to say, you know, is it, you know, please accept me into your waters or you say whatever yeah. you want or you can ask the sea for wisdom. or Like that, we've lost that communication with nature yes. and we know we have, but we're not really doing anything about it. Yes. So I'm just trying to... And now we're in a crisis about it. We're in a huge, like, mind-blowing, terrifying crisis because we've lost it that much. I mean, that's... It's yes. awful. It, it, you know, I think for most of us, it just... what. It, it's like the great irony. It cracks me up sort of, I mean, in a tragic kind of way, where it's like, you know, we're a part, we are nature. We we're are nature. Part of it. Like, I know. What do we really think? That we're somehow separate? I know. Well, we, we do sort I of. Know. This it's, weird, it's crazy. selfish, strange psychology that we've just, we've just got used to it. It's not even our fault. You know, this comes from <laughs> the patriarchy and advertising companies and, yes. you know, the three biggest companies that basically run the world. Right. We don't stand a chance. You know, we, we still can make good choices, but it's so huge, the problem. And we're such a tiny speck in it. And I think a lot of the blame gets put on the individual. Like, you should be doing this. You shouldn't be flying as much. You should be recycling. It's like, what about these monster companies that are literally running the world? Right. And we cannot infiltrate their mindset at all. You know, they, they've been doing what they've been doing for hundreds of years. So I think it's it's hard for everybody because we're all trying our best. We're all trying to make positive changes. But I think most of us still feel a bit sick, a bit guilty about it. Um, but I do think uh, even if we can have that awareness and respect for nature, um, you know, we already know that young people and the generations to come are going to do way better than us. They're going to come up with transformative ideas of how to, to change things. Yes, but yes. I think if we can really incorporate that respect into our day-to-day, -day, that, that's a good start. And it's part of what I love about what you're doing with your work, right? It's about shifting and ho helping people open up their perspective to sort of think about things a little bit differently to get out of this very narrow, stressed out, like achievement oriented perfection mindset and be like, enjoy, be in the world, you know, connect, re be with nature, respect it. Yeah. You know, like you were saying, like, thank the ocean, walk into it, feel, feel blessed. You know, like my favorite thing to do, which is obviously free, is I'm very lucky that I live near a park, but I think if you can get in any outdoor space, I put my headphones in. I listen to beautiful music that really evokes some emotion. Like I want something to make me 
really feel. Yeah. And I cry and I cry and walk for an hour. And I might not even be sad about anything. I just feel like yeah. everything. And I that is my like therapy doing yeah. that. I do it at least once a week. I go in, music, look at the trees, birds, weep. Heaven, I love crying. Yeah, that's actually really courageous and awesome. And I love hearing it. It's, it's as you're saying that, I'm thinking about, you know, I, it's funny. I mean, I love music. I love dancing. And yet I sometimes find music hard to listen to because it evokes so much emotion. And I've been to the New York Philharmonic once and it blew my mind. Oh, I was like, heaven. <laughs> I was so emotional. I couldn't stop crying. Yeah. I have to have music. I don't think it would happen as freely without music. Mm. And there's a few artists where I'm like, the first note, I'm already a wreck. Um, but I lo- love, love, love that feeling. How did you find this process of listening to music and crying? Was that something that just happened to you that you're like, oh, I think I'd like to kind of pursue more of this experience? I'm literally spalling back through my life to try and work out the first time I did it. And I'm pretty sure I would have been around 10. Yeah, so I, I remember so clearly, obviously when I was 10, this was in 1991, so there was no social media or, you know, we had like basic computer games. But a lot of the time I was in my bedroom, you know, writing a diary or, you know, reading a magazine or like very basic sort of entertainment. And my favourite thing to do as a kid was to close the curtains behind me. So I was looking out the window and this was at night. I'd be looking out the window, but the curtain was behind me. So it was pitch, pitch black. So I had no, and obviously back in the nineties as well, there was way less light pollution. I lived in the suburbs, but it was, you could see all the stars. And I would have my little hi-fi and I would put a CD or a tape in of some beautiful music and just look at all the stars and just feel like completely overwhelmed and, and just sort of like, wow, there's something else going on here it can't just be going to school coming back having my tea like there's something else and I could feel it then so I think I've always turned to music because you know before I did all this well-being whatever you want to call it stuff and happy place I was a a radio DJ and a, a music TV host it was my it was my everything. I hosted Top of the Pops. I did the chart show. We had this um, Radio 1 show called The Live Lounge where bands would come in and you know, we had all sorts of people like Eminem and Rihanna and like the biggest stars singing live. And I've always just felt like music is the biggest gift ever and I can't get enough of it. And it it's helped me through things. It's brought me joy. It's been the soundtracks to some of the best memories and exciting times. I just can't do it myself. So I'm in awe of musicians. Like, how how are you making, how are you doing that? How are you creating this magic? So I'm like the most enthusiastic spectator because I, it's, it's given me so much. I love it. So I can't imagine not having that as a, as a way of sort of releasing stuff, you know, whether it is dancing and craziness, but really it's more so, the, the emotional side of things and, and it just draws it out of me. Is it the rhythm and the lyrics or one or the, I think more it's than the other? all of it. I think musicians are so clever when they get it right and they're able to create something where certainly the lyrics speak to you and you go, oh my God, like that, yeah. you're, that's exactly what I'm feeling. Like that I just find extraordinary. But I think, you know, 
going throughout history to when musical instruments first came about, you know, humans have an understanding that certain notes together do something to the, yeah. to a human brain and a yeah. body. You know, you get goosebumps. You feel and, it in your body. Oh, I, honestly, I could talk about music till the cows come home. Well, it's, it's very shamanic, right? It is. I mean, so it's like sort of like that kind of sensation, the vibration, the yep. rhythm, the yep. and the lyrics when they're the right ones that really hit you. Because it takes away all inhibition. It's yes. like the it's, music it's says, I see who you are as a human without all the stuff around you. Like, I see who you are. And you go, yeah. This is me. And you start expressing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, you say that. I, mean, I can't remember if I've read this or listened to it in one of your interviews, but you talk about as a kid feeling this sense of something bigger or this sense of magic. And then you also talk about how your mom influenced you in this way. And I think she took you to a meditation when you were eight or something like this? She used to take me to, like, somebody did yoga in a church hall near us. And nobody did yoga in yeah, the 80s or yeah. 90s in the suburbs of London. So I was always like, yeah, I'll come. I think I went along a couple of times, either watched or took part. But she was really always sort of encouraging stuff that was at the time very outside the box. So I remember when I had a big breakup as a teen and she was like... I know this lady that does rebirthing, you know, huh. give it a go. Wow. And I had this very powerful rebirth wow. experience, which was sort of breathing <laughs> techniques and <Yes>. crazy. Um, <laughs> and we had this funny little, I mean, back in the day, we would call it like a little hippie shop. It had like wind chimes and oh, dream catchers yeah. and crystals and stuff. And they did different practices in an upstairs treatment room. So they would do... Um, you know, they would do stuff like past life regression or just Reiki, mm-hmm. kinesiology. So we were in there quite a lot, <laughs> trying new things out. And mum's just always been quite open-minded. But I think she would also be honest in saying sometimes it's because she can't deal with, like, the darkness or she doesn't want to poke around in it or look at it. So it's been her way out of that. Interesting. I think I'm that's interesting. Probably much more prone to like I'm going to poke around in all that crap and just see yeah. why it's there, what's in it, what I can do about it. I think my mum would rather live around dream catchers and be doing all the nice practices that pull her away from that. And I think she would admit that because she's had her own mental health issues throughout her whole life since she was a teenager with depression, anxiety, OCD. So I think she um, she's used it to as a comfort, I think, really. Which again, you know, there's I think there's worse things you could be doing to alleviate yourself. Of co- oh God, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because it's like that's that kind of thing can be such a mixed bag, right? On the one hand, it can be very calming and grounding and comforting. On the other hand, it can sort of like all oh, of yeah. a sudden excavate something. And, you know, you've, you know, you've interviewed a lot of interesting folks about like mental health or, you know, emotional fortitude in your podcast, like Glennon Doyle is fascinating, Russell Brand. But my favorite, one of my favorite is with your mom Mm. on Mother's Day. Mm. And, you know, you, you all are talking about these kinds of things. Yeah. Which was, I found it really profound. It was the first time. (laughs) It was the first time we'd done it. You know, that's weird. It was was, (laughs) recorded. I think it was almost better that we did it in that format because we both knew what we were walking into. And I knew 
where not to go. There's some things that okay. you know, my mum wouldn't be happy talking about or things that I wouldn't want to probe because, you know, she's probably not at peace with them. And equally with me, you yeah, know, I'm sure. I'm very open whenever I do interviews that there's stuff that I'm very, very happy to talk about because I see that there's hopefully worth in it for other people. Whereas there's some things that I probably still haven't made peace with that I think, why would I say that and cause myself more turmoil and would that really be helpful to anybody else at this point until I'm really sure that I can talk about this properly? So I, I was really nervous interviewing my mum, really nervous. Oh, um, because yeah. we just hadn't been there. And, you know, I wish yeah. that I'd had that chat with my nan, her mum, because she had all sorts of stuff going on. It's like, we just didn't do that back then. We just didn't. And I missed the boat. And, you know, she's not around anymore, so you can't... You can't get those answers and um, and fill the blanks in of the of the story, right? No, I, I hear you. I mean, I it's it's incredible, but you you did talk about your nan a little bit and like some of her experiences yeah. during during the war, yeah. And I mean, I was I was listening to that, and I was like, that is just it was really fascinating. You talk about the intergener or the generational trauma and the fear that goes through, you know her life, your yep. mom's life, yep. and then somewhat with your life. And what do we do with that? But, you know, as I was listening to that, I was like, you know, what you've done is so brilliant is that you've recorded something that your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren will, will be able to hear this. Yeah, I really hope. I really, ho- I mean, I hadn't actually recognized that that that's the case, weirdly. I think because I was so focused on that day. Of course, yeah. But that is actually quite cool. And I hope that they do listen to it one day. I mean, I hope that they do read the books and all of it. I don't know if they will. They'll probably be like, oh, yawn, I've got to listen to this crap again. But I think, I hope they do with my mum because I think it's crazy for any of, any of us to think that, all of the problems or challenges that we face in life are just ours and that we've created them all. Like so much of this stuff is generational. Absolutely. And, you know, for a lot of the people in the UK and Europe, their immediate grandparents were living through World War II. Yeah. And their lives were completely and utterly ruined and they were all completely traumatized, And they all came out with different trauma but my grandparents were very young because they had my my mum very very young when they were when they were 18 wow so they were tiny kids in the war so they were all evacuated they were treated really badly by the the families yeah. that looked after it's them heart-wrenching so then when they come back and then my nan's sister died of tb when she was God. seven so my nan was deeply traumatized deeply yeah. tra- and then I had my mum at 18 you're not mentally capable of bringing up a kid with all of that baggage and no, you know, there there was no therapy back then, obviously. There was no one talking about, like, how are you mentally? They just go, crack on, get on with it. Yeah, and feel ashamed of it. Yeah, feel ashamed, like, where's your stoicism? Get on with it. You know, it was all just kind of, like, stiff upper lip, crack on with it in the UK. So that generation had such a rough ride and nobody to talk to or lean on. Then that obviously affected their kids and then... That's affected us in a way, nowhere near as extreme as obviously our grandparents dealing with it. But the aftermath is there. Yeah. And I think it is our job now to go, God, I'm carrying all that anxiety. Not all of it, but I'm certainly picking up patterns of anxiety or worry or overthinking things, catastrophizing. And no shit, it's only two generations ago. Right. It's not like it was our great, 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 great grandparents. Like, I hung out with them as a kid the whole time. Right. I know, I knew these people really well and loved them. So, of course, we're going to be 
dealing with that stuff. And I think it's it's quite a fun thing to start exploring it and asking questions. And I just wish I'd asked questions when they were alive. I know, I, know. I, I totally hear you. You know, I lost my mom a year and a half ago. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it's, it's profound to lose yeah. your mom. It's just like, you know, it's very destabilizing, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I miss her terribly. And, you know, we were able to have a couple of conversations, you know, before she passed that were kind of remarkable. I had actually slightly tangential, but, you know, we were, I was doing, I was studying yoga. And so I was having this conversation with her because back in the seventies, she had a near-death experience. And she, I know, and she was very kind of, my mom was not particularly spiritual, very practical, just very kind of just like this, 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 like not really, you know, no, not really big picture, just like just basic practical person. And I said, mom, you know, this was when I was doing the this yoga studies. And I said, mom, you know, you had that you had that near-death experience. So she's like, well, what do you mean when I saw the light? And I said, yeah, the light. And she's like, yeah, yeah, it was so funny, wasn't it? Or, you know, I, I wasn't there to know exactly what she was experiencing until we, my sister and I heard her tell the story later. But she said she, you know, she was in the hospital. She had typhoid fever. And all of a sudden she saw this, you know, this big bright light and then was like going towards this tunnel. And she wasn't so sure about the tunnel. Whoa. And she decided she better come back because the tunnel was a little bit unnerving. And she woke up and all of these people were standing around the bed, including a minister. And she's like, what's wrong with these people? Why are they here? Oh, my goodness. That's extraordinary. And this this was like a couple years ago. And I said, Mom, does that ever make you feel, she was in her 80s. I was like, does it ever make you feel less, you know, afraid or more comfortable with death? And she's like, huh, I guess so. You know, it's just like, wow, who is this person? So that was, I was so glad to have that conversation, right? So that was really cool. And then, you know, now, you know, my sister and I have been going through some of these family heirlooms and boxes that have been packaged up for God knows how long. And I found a note from a journal from my great-grandmother. And it is, a, it was like from, it's 19, December 31st, 1929. She's talking about the Great Depression. Wow. And so I, that's what I, and it was a gift to me, wow. right? To be able to see that and what yeah. she was worried about. Yeah. And she had also lost one of her children mm. to some kind of like illness. I'm not yeah. sure what. So when I thought when I was hearing this interview with you and your mom, and I was like, wow, you're, this will, they'll be able to hear you yeah. talking. And talking about your grandma and talking about your own, like, issues with anxiety or mm. catastrophizing yeah. and, and normalizing it, not being ashamed about it. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm telling you, that that's going to stop or interrupt I the cycle. I so, because I think, you know, I think parenting is something I really overthink a lot. And I like most parents constantly worry, am I getting it right? Oh my God, I definitely got that wrong and beating myself up about things. And, you know, the only thing I know I am getting right is that I'm honest with them. So, you know, one day they might want to listen to that. One day they can read all sorts of things in books or come to me, hopefully. That's what I would love is for them to, in times where they're not dealing well with things, to to approach me about it. I think my kids are seven and nine. So it's not an age where I'm going to be like, let's have a serious mental health chat. But I'll certainly try even to normalize fear. You know, like they're both a little bit sort of worried at nighttime and honey overthinks things. And and I'll try and sort of, you know, help her with that by going, I mean, I'm a terrible sleeper. So I'm like, look, this is, <laughs> I, this is me every night. This is my head, like going mad. Yeah. 
and just trying to do it in small ways. So for all the things that I've definitely messed up and I make mistakes every day with parenting, I do know that I'm as honest as I can be with them at this age. And I hope that that serves me well down the line and they'll want to come to me if they do have concerns or they want to talk about things or whatever. That's great. Because it's tricky, isn't it? Like even, you know, you talking to your mum before she passed, me talking to my mum on the podcast, it's a very strange conversation to approach. You know, like when when do you do that? You know, if you go yeah. to your parents' house or, or they come to you for tea or, or even you, you see your auntie or your nan or whoever it is, you know, you do all the platitudes. Oh, how you do? Yeah, how was your weekend? Blah blah. When do you go in with the? Let's talk about the past. Or right. how do you do that? So I think people don't because it's just it seems weird or out of context in in the environment yeah. or something. But I still would encourage people to approach it if they feel willing. I, I completely agree with you. Because yeah, it's true. You don't. You just sort of, it's like we sort of take it for granted in a way. Like yeah. why would I want to talk to them about that? Yeah, it's so, and I just think it's so interesting how it's informed how you are as a human and how you exactly. move through the world. It's so, you know, everyone will have a different experience whether it's due to, you know, if there are families out there that are second generation um, immigrants or or, or um, generations that went through the Holocaust, you know, all of these huge traumas will have rippled through to inform who you are yes. today. And I think yes. we can't ignore that. We can't just go, oh, I just have anxiety or I, you know, don't right. deal with stress well. It's like, look at what your grandparents went through, or your parents went through or whatever it is, you know, because it will all have made a mark and have shaped who you, who you are and how you move through the world. And and it helps to sort of put it in perspective and normalize aspects of it. Like it's not, you're not crazy. Nope. This is, this has, there's a context for this and it makes sense. Yeah. How did you know that this was the time this past year to talk to your mom about these things? How did you choose Mother's Day this past year? I really don't know because I had thought about it before. And my mom had even said to me, I'd love to talk to you one day. And I thought, ooh, wow. Yeah, and I thought, oh, really? Because we'd never had that chat, you know? And she'd said a few things more recently. Like, we did an episode with the actor Tuppence Middleton, specifically about OCD. And my mum had said to me, oh, yeah, I've, I, I've had OCD over the years on off um, plenty. And I, I was like, I didn't, know, <laughs> I didn't know that. What? So she'd started to say a few more things. Because I assumed if I approached it and said, you know, if you come on the podcast, you know we've got to have an honest chat. It can't be like us messing about. and Because my mum can be really funny and entertaining. I was like, it can't be you batting away things with jokes. It, it has to be the real deal. So I think I was nervous going into that space. But for some reason, I think she dropped a few things this year where I thought maybe it would actually be quite cool. And the best thing about it was... One of my cousins, who's quite a bit younger than me, texted me afterwards. And she's usually out, like, doing cool things. She doesn't bother texting me. And I'm always going, like, I miss you. How are you? And she texted me saying, oh, I'd really like to just talk to you about a few things. And I was like, wow. Oh, my God, wow. what? And she was like, well, I heard, you know, with your mom, and just thought it'd be good to have, you know, a chat with you about some things that I've been experiencing. And I was like, yes, I would love that. And we had a huge walk in the countryside and chatted for two hours and... I didn't think it would have any impact on people I knew or, you know, relatives. And um, because a lot of the time, you know, my family 
don't go to me. Oh, how how was the podcast or how was work? We're just all family chatting about family stuff. But it it impacted her enough to want to have a proper chat, which felt really special. So that was very cool. And I was thinking, oh, I hope this is happening to other families that they're wanting to... Because I forget, you know, that people leave and listen to the podcast. I just enjoy making it. Mm -hmm. So to have my cousin sort of say, oh, I listened to this and I'm feeling this, I was like, what? It blew my mind somewhat. I really appreciated how you talk about anger because, you know, from coming from my line of work, it's like anger is great. It's unlocking all of this energy and passion. And once you can have access to that, then you, you don't have to go out and like throw rocks. You can actually <laughs> do something with it. Yeah, you know? use it as fire, use it, it's fuel. as power. Yeah. I think for women especially, it's, it's a really like weird off-limit subject. Like women aren't allowed to be angry. They're not allowed to show anger. It's really, whereas men, you know, they have also a lot of sport where they can get all this rage yeah, out, yeah, like yeah. boxing and rugby and yeah. sort of screaming at the wind, throwing things in strongman competitions. And we're meant to be like contained and keeping it within. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, I'm effing angry all the time about things. I get angry so easily. My mum's really sparky, so it's probably a generational thing. I am really angry about so many things all the time. It's, yeah. The only thing I'm trying to do... And, and you I should s- be. There's yeah, a lot of things yeah, to, be so to be angry about. The thing is, like, the, the, the thing that I learned, and I remember my friend Zephyr telling me this, is anger's fine as long as you don't pass it on to someone else purposefully and sort of go, attack. I blame you, yeah. it's you. Yeah, blah, blah, don't blah. attack. Don't attack. Like, you know, I'll go out for a run. I'll, like, try and physically get it out first on a very basic yeah. level. Like, I need this out of my body. Sometimes I fail at that, but I will try and physically, like, get it out. I need to box or something very physical. But I think I still need to root back to, but why? Like, what is under all that? Because it's just, it's just not the anger thing. Like, do I feel rejected? Do I feel used? Do I feel whatever it is? And trying to be accountable for it. I mean, I'm not right. I'm not saying that I nail it every time. And like, obviously, I've taken it out of my husband. <laughs> yeah, I can join you on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people will be like, mm-hmm. yep. because it's easy, because he's there all the time, <laughs> and he'll still like me afterwards, hopefully. But I think we all do it to a level. Like, why have you left that cupboard door open? And it's not yeah, that. Exactly. It's something that happened a week it's something ago. Something else. Yeah. Something very deep. But um, but anger is yeah. Like I've used it in so many work projects to like to focus, to have the fire in my belly, to like get things out of me. Like writing, certainly. I write way better, I think, if I've got a bit of anger bubbling away. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I mean, it's. I was recently talking to someone about anger who, has, who studies um, Hinduism. And we were talking about the goddess Kali, you know, the blue one with all mm-hmm. the arms and the open mouth. And, you know, she's angry because she's going around and slashing and burning the ego and all the bullshit. Yeah. And there's like a comparable goddess in Egyptian mythology called Sekhmet that also just like kind of went wild and was like massacring all these people who had a big ego or not. It, it was symbolic of the ego. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The mind. And, you know, they get kind of demonized literally when they're written about as these crazy, you know, the crazy mad woman, the crazy angry woman. That's because they're not supposed to be that. And it's like, no, like feminism is reclaiming these people because 
Yeah, what do you want them to be fairies, like putting little magic spells on people? No, we need to like get it out, exercise it. Yeah, I agree. Get real. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So I think it's good. Yeah, anger's good. Because the worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can do for your physical and mental health is to keep it all in you and suppress it. Like, what is that doing to your insides? Where is that anger going to go? Like, that scares me when I feel like I haven't gotten it out of me, I'm like, oh God, where is it in my body? I don't want it changing cells or doing stuff. Because, you know, we know, 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 I've listened to enough Dr. Joe Dispenza stuff to know that that's, that's not good. I don't want that stress in my physical body. And again, I don't always nail it. I don't always get it out. But I think you have to look for a way rather than go, nope, I'm just going to remain quiet about this one and keep it all in and right. not say anything. Because where is, and it doesn't mean you have to go around saying to people, you've annoyed me, whatever. It's right. working out, being sort of, I guess, sort of emotionally independent enough to work out how, how what's going to work best for you. Get it out physically, work for it mentally. And I have to do that all the time and still fail at it miserably all the time. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah, no, it's a big, it's a learning process, right? It's yeah. like you have to acknowledge it. And then how am I going to work with it in some way that's not completely destructive? How can I be productive with well, it? Well, I've got, I've got an example, actually, because of course, so in the book, Speak Your Truth, mm. I wrote that book. I, I, I was due to write a book and I was like, what the hell am I going to write about? <laughs> and then I lost my voice completely over Christmas. And I, literally only talk for a living. I don't do anything. I write and I talk. So if I haven't got a voice, I'm screwed. Like I'm not working. So I was like, what, what is going on with my voice? There's something happening and it's not good. And I don't know what, and it was like a month where I could speak, but it was really croaky. It sounded awful. Oh. So I went to the doctor, put a camera down my nose and there was a huge cyst on my vocal cords. So they just weren't shutting. So this air was sort of rushing through. And instantly, I almost laughed. I was like, I know what this is. I know exactly what this is. There's so many things, and they probably were attached to anger a lot of the time, that I'm not saying out. Like, I'm not telling people what I need because I, I, I'm I, like, oh, no, no, I don't need it. I'm fine. I'll just do my, I, I'll get on with it. So I can be quite like that. But then I get resentful because they haven't mind read that I need certain things. Of That's a terrible pattern of mine. Of course. <laughs> um, I haven't told people at times that I'm not okay with things. I, I, I'm not willing to do this, say that, whatever. I've been, again, I, I don't know if it's being a female in this industry, but I felt like I couldn't at times and I've done things I didn't want to. And, and it was a lump of just resentment and stuff in my throat. And once I started working on that book and, and really thinking about that and trying to, again, like not going around sort of angrily shouting, but saying to people, Look, I'm, not, I'm not willing to do that very politely or, or I need this or whatever it is. I went back to the doctor but to have a checkup before I was meant to have the operation and it had gone. You're kidding. It just went. Oh, I love it. And I think there's something like, 5% naturally disperse, but there was a 95% chance I was going to have to have it removed, exactly. go into voice coaching afterwards, when we have to speak for a month. But it just went. Because you realised what it was about. I mean, I'm hoping on, again, a Dr. Joe Dispenza note that that's yes. what I kind of yes. helped with. Some people might disagree. That's, you know, up for debate. But I certainly felt like I did a lot of practical work on righting a few wrongs. And again, I... St- it's probably still the thing that I struggle with more than anything is saying what I believe, what I need, what I don't want. I find it 
very, very difficult. I'm a people pleaser. I want people around me to feel happy, to feel comfortable. I want to leave situations the same or better than I found them. I don't like causing drama or stress. I, right. I'm very uncomfortable with it. So I've I've really put myself through it and suffered through things because I haven't said I need this, I don't want that or whatever it is. And it could be teeny things. Like I used to get petrified of saying to a cab driver, um, oh, I'm too cold. Can you turn the air con off? I would yeah. just sit there like in the back shivering like a yeah. book of ice because I couldn't say it. Like silly, silly things. And that's still weirdly, I'm a communicator, you know, for my job, but I still really struggle with it. Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating, right? Because mm. then you've been working on it, you've written about it, and you've seen <laughs> like the whole process of like, you know, whether again, what you believe or not believe, but having an aspect of what the cause of this cyst was and shifting it, shifting it in your consciousness and your way of being and everything recalibrates. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it that way. There's this great expression, your issues are in your tissues. Have you heard Yeah, so good. <laughs> so, so it's like, but so there's aspects of it that are true, yeah. right? That, yeah. that are impacting how we, how we function. Yeah. I mean, how could it, how could it not bother you? It's going to be stress. It causes stress. I mean, I, I, I'm with you on that. It's yeah. really, really hard sometimes. It's like, it's almost like learning a new language. And it then is. you say your truth and you're like, is it okay? <laughs> Did yeah. anything terrible happen? Because we're also scared of being rejected. Yeah, exactly. Terrified. I mean, I, I, exactly. I know I, I know I am. And because my rejection isn't, I'm going to be alone. My rejection is oh, I am bad. I am a bad person. I thought I was, and now you've confirmed it. That drives so many decisions, good and bad, that I make in life. You're going to reject me, and that will prove that I'm as bad as I think I am, because we all probably have that. I mean, I certainly do. Voice of, you're selfish, you could have done more, you're a, you know, you're a shitty person, whatever it is, a list of things that we berate ourselves with. Uh -huh. This is like a cerbic voice in our heads. So when someone matches that and says, yeah, you are, I have the propensity to go, oh yeah, I believe you. More right. than going seeking what I deeply know, like an actual knowing of we're all love. You know, we've all, yes. we've, we're, we're light and shade. We're, we're good and bad, but, but inherently I can tune into that love and I know it's there. I'll throw that out the window and go, oh, I'll believe that person who I don't even know, by right. the way, right. stranger. Oh yeah, yeah, I'll believe you. I am a piece of shit. Right. Cool, I'll like, stick with that. It's easier. Yeah, isn't that funny? It's yeah. like this, somehow this stranger knows more than you would even inherently know yourself. It's I like, know. Who are they? And I'm going to base my whole week on your opinion. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to ruin my own week because you told me I'm an idiot. So yeah. thank you. I'm going to believe you <laughs> exactly. and not me exactly. or people that love me. Why? Why do we do I this? Know. It's it's that is insanity, right? Like we do, we all do <laughs> this. I can't stand it. <laughs> it's so self-destructive. It's like you would never treat anyone else like that, and we do it to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, we're horrible to ourselves. Well, it's like, but it's right. It's like we can protect ourselves because we'll attack ourselves, so no one else can do it because yeah, they're yeah, more yeah, in yeah. control. Yeah, but it's but it's just crazy. It's like <laughs> what what I mean. So yeah, it was one of my questions too. What are you doing these days to like attenuate the naysayer? Well, there are many things, and. Some are good and some are bad. Some will be numbing <laughs> through like looking on Instagram or like buying things or just not going to think about it, la la la, numbing. <laughs> yeah. But then other times I will make uh, a better decision and it will usually be my walk in the park, which is my yes. number one go-to. I'll yes. do that before I've even thought about the options. I'm putting my trainers on and I'm going out with my headphones in. I'm very lucky that I've got some great mates that love having these conversations. Awesome. I've also got a really good friend who's, sort of 
said, you know, I want to mentor your mentor you in ways as well, which I've found hmm. incredibly generous. And um, she's a little bit older than me. She's uh, got an amazing backstory. And I can go to her at any point and say, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. And, it, and she'll either say, great, here's my advice or let's chat. Or she'll be very honest because we've got a brilliantly honest relationship with boundaries where she will go, uh, I'm with my grandkids right now. I, I can't talk, but I'll I'll call you tomorrow. And I will take zero offence. I won't feel it. I'll just go, cool, and we'll deal with that then. Love it. So that's really great relationship, that one. So that, I think, talking to mates always just makes you feel like less in it on your own or less of a freak or whatever it is that's going on in your head. Absolutely. Because you sometimes good friends can help you challenge that inner naysayer and, and get rid of that that ugly voice that's, you know, really kind of ruling the day. So I, th- I think they're the two, mo- I keep it really simple. I mean, I do like to regularly partake in lots of different things. Like I, this evening, am going to visit this amazing shaman that I know. Oh, nice. And she does some beautiful, very traditional practices. And she does five element acupuncture. And I know who you're talking about. Do you? Well, you well, Wendy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I love Wendy. Have you seen Wendy? I have not seen Wendy, but I've heard you talk about her and I've listened to her um, on different YouTube videos and she seems fantastic. She's amazing. So she's great. I mean, that's a real treat. I I bet. It's a treat. You know, I feel lucky I get to do stuff like that. And I've met these people along the way. I even remember you said like something about she put the acupuncture needle in your rib and like... like, ex- like the yeah. electricity went the through your body. Time I saw her, right? I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I, it was just this full sensory experience of like, what the hell? Can you explain what that? It's so, well, the five element acupuncture is is amazing, well, but like you're not, but the experience, the experience is is incredible. I, I've seen another practitioner called Jared Kite, who is again exceptionally knowledgeable about five element and. It's obviously, uh, again, a very, very traditional Chinese way of using acupuncture. So rather than putting the needles in and leaving them, there's a needle put in which is in a precise area that they believe you need because they know what your element is that is your weakness. So I'm weak in wood. So they can tell that by, (laughs) which is ironic because my married name is wood, but they can can sense that by uh, the the tinge of colour by the side of your eyes by your your smell, which they have another understanding of smell. It's not like, oh, I like your perfume. It's a, it's another, like I think wood is rancid or something <laughs> awful. Um, and also by your manner, the tone of voice, and you're talking about certain subjects, whatever. Hmm. So these particular points they choose are very specific. And they put the needle in, twist it, and you feel this, like a firework, like a... Um, a surge of energy, and then the needle comes straight out again. And it's just wild. I mean, it's um, a full body experience. And sometimes you'll reap the benefits days afterwards where you just notice, yeah, strange, subtle shifts in all sorts of parts of your life. It's amazing. It's amazing. But I always say, you know, as, as lucky as I feel to get to try things out like this or do breath work classes, whatever. Right. I think unless you're also doing the actual work work where you're looking yes. at yourself, yes. you're looking at your behaviour, you're looking at your patterns, 
none of that stuff's going to touch the sides. Yeah. You can drink all the green juice. You can smear reishi mushrooms up your ass. Do whatever you like. It's not going to do anything unless you're going to go, oh God, I have to look in the mirror. I have to look in the mirror and do some stuff here. Yeah. Because it's just, I just think, I have to look at the shadow. Yeah, because the, you know, the commercialized side of the wellness industry, which again, like everything has good and bad sides, will tell you if you try this, do that, whatever, you'll be fixed, you'll be perfect, you'll be great. Whereas I think the journey I'm going on is, oh, there's no end. I just keep going and I just keep looking at having an awareness of myself and, oh, I dealt with that badly or shouldn't have done this or try something different or whatever, or look at my past or whatever. I think you've, you can't rely on just uh, exterior things to yeah. move you through life. I think you've got to do the, the inner, looking at the shadow. The inner work in the shadow. The yeah, shadow. The, the, the mess. Mess. I mean, it's, it's interesting this. that you say that because it, it takes me back to what you said in, partly in the beginning that as a little kid looking at this beautiful sky out your window and thinking about this bigger this something that is bigger and what that is. So it's not just about like, oh, I'll go get acupuncture or get a massage or whatever wellness thing that I'm doing or do breath work and feel really great. That's awesome. But it's that, it's what what is really bigger? What is something that's going on and that there is terrifying things yeah. or dark things and they're interwoven with all of these other things that we just don't know. I Yeah. One of the things I heard you, I'm trying to remember where I heard you say this. I think it was in your the interview on Penguin about Bigger Than Us. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> you said something like, Oh, God, we I have say? to know that we just don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I have to always land on that one. Otherwise, I go mad. I go, yes. we, we don't, yes. we don't know. Like, if we don't know what's out there, like my brain, when I start to think about infinity, explodes. I'm like, what do you mean? Uh, it can't know, go on forever. I know. Because there has to be something at the other side of it. And then when does that end? Like, I can't. <laughs> I know. So because we're, our pea-sized brains cannot grasp what that means, how do we think we know all the other stuff? We don't know anything. And this is why I hate when people do um, rants on YouTube or talks, whatever, and they're like, factually speaking, this is the thing and this is what you've got to do and this is this. I'm like, how do you know? I, know. I don't know anything. I've written loads of books and I do loads of talks. But my books aren't didactic. They're not saying and then you should do this, and then this will happen. I'm going, I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to try some stuff. And yeah. then at the end of it, I still don't know what's going on, but that was cool, or whatever. None of us know anything. And this is what I've seen. This is what I've seen. This is what I've felt. This is what I've experienced. Yes. But I don't know anything. Yeah. Because it changes every day. It changes every day. Every and second, some days. You know, it's, it's funny. Like, on the one hand, you would think, well, I mean, I guess I should just talk about my own experience. I, I think that I would feel scared of not knowing that there's so much that we don't know that it's inexplainable, right? But I actually feel relieved. Same. Yeah? Like, I feel so relieved. Yes. You know, we're tiny little dots roaming around a tiny dot in space that we don't really know what's going on. And I think if we can just land on that, and then when the good stuff happens, you're like, what? That's exciting. That's so cool. That's amazing. I'll welcome that in. There's room for something new. You know, I'll, I'll change my opinion. People don't, don't like to change their opinion. They don't like it. They don't like it. So, you know, and I don't a lot of the time, but if we can and we can go, oh God, yeah, maybe I was wrong actually. And uh, I'll, I'm open to thinking about things from another angle. Yes. And, and, and we're we going to learn. That. We yeah. need that. We mm. have to be able to be able to talk about it and learn yeah. and say, oh, I don't know. or And get things that, wrong. Yeah, and get things wrong. Mess up. Yeah. 
Because this is the cancel culture thing. I can't uh, abide. Yes, yes. I, I, it's the worst thing that's happened Ugh. on a mental health scope in years for all of us. Absol- because It's silencing. It's awful. Like If we can't get things wrong, like we could in the 80s and 90s, and then go, oh, sorry, I got that wrong. I won't do that again. Or I'll try or I'll say something, whatever. Like, it, I'm not saying that being wrong is okay and continuing being wrong. You have to then go, oh, I was wrong. I'll try something new. But to be cancelled and silenced because you messed up is lunacy. Or that you didn't know somehow. How are we meant to know everything? I don't know how certain cultures live on certain parts of the planet. I would love to learn. I'm always willing to learn anything, but I don't know all of it because I've been too busy raising kids sometimes or working on a project or whatever. There's stuff I would love to learn. I'm ignorant to loads of stuff, which is... Not good, but I'm willing to learn. I can't know it all. None of us can know it all. We can't be perfect. There's got to be room to mess up and room to go, oh, cool, I'll learn about this new thing or whatever it might be. You know, it's mad to think we should know everything. It's the foundation of mental health. There has to be room to mess up. Yes. Or we're not going to grow. We're not going to learn. We're not going to feel better. No, we'll be very boring for a start. Oh, God, imbecile. And so careful and walking on eggshells, which is, is happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't stand it either. I, and I heard you talking about this in your interview with Youngblood and just that this is like stifling creativity. Yeah, I think he's found it very hard, but he's really willing to like put himself out there. Yeah. And, so, and I just admire him so much for that. But I think like we've got to mess up. And, you know, I, I, I talk about my own mental health problems in the past. I've had whatever. If someone said something to me that was triggering or whatever, I wouldn't have a go at them or say, I can't believe you said that. I'd probably just actually walk away and say nothing because I'd go, look, I don't need to take that on board. Or if I really felt there was room for us to have a decent chat, yeah. I might initiate that or say, let's talk more about this. But just just cancel a conversation or someone, it, that's mad. Yeah, it, it is mad. It's, it's devastating, it's actually, because it's silencing people and we're developing a, a way of having more superficial relationships and yes. that we've never had. Where you just pretend that you know everything to keep the other person happy or yeah. just say what or they like, need you to we're say. We're pretending that we agree with about something that maybe both of us don't even agree about it. Yeah. And it cracks me up. I'm like, <laughs> it just feels complete. That feels crazy. Ma- I mean, there's things that me and my husband vehemently disagree on but we love each other or friends that we just have a different take on situations, but we love each other. Yeah. It's, yes. that's all part yes. of a relationship. Yes. You have to be the same person. Yes. Yes. That's the, the, the foundation is the relationship or the sense of love and yes. interconnection and community. Yeah. And if we can just sort of bank on that in a way that we can work through anything. I mean, yeah. again, that's group therapy. Yeah. That's psychotherapy. That's couples therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we not doing that as a culture? We're creating more and more of a divide, which, you know, we know. I know. Where does this, is this, where, when did this start? Like, I'm sure it was years know. and years before. This yeah. has been rumbling this along is generational. for years. Yeah. But it's like, when did, who created this? Like, what's going on here? This is I mad. I know. Well, but there's a lot of people that are talking about this now. Yeah, like, we're, yeah, like yeah. we're talking about, thank God, I really... I really hope that this will change and need to change because it it cracks me up as like, you know, as a psychologist now too. It's like, even with my clients, it used to be this thing where it's like people were afraid to talk about like, you know, money or masturbation or sex. And now it's like, you know, please don't talk about critical race theory or vaccinations because it's everyone's going to get silenced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's just just mad. It's like, why can't we just openly talk about how we feel it's, there's no right or wrong in some situations. Exactly. It's how you feel. Yes. It's how do you feel about that? And the feeling might be, 
I'm a bit angry, but I don't know why. I'd like to learn more. Or it, whatever it is. Right. Like, there's got to be... Yeah, I don't have element. a big opinion on some of these same, things. Same, like, same. I'm like, I couldn't give a shit. I'm just living my little life over here, yeah. trying my best. And that's the other thing is we've made other people's business our own. And that is, again, Ugh. a really strange concept. Ugh, it's it's that, the horrible concept. Yes, and it, and it rallies against, again, a lot of esoteric theories where... You know, they you you would talk about say indigenous peoples would talk about there's the community, but the sense is you have to be okay in yourself. You have to be okay in yourself, and you have to make decisions that you believe are right for you, so that then you can mingle in a community, be of service to others. And we've sort of forgotten that, and we're sacrificing our beliefs and our feelings so that we can fit in or not be cancelled. It's like this is seriously dangerous ground that it's, we're it's seriously dangerous ground it's mad that we're walking on mad I, I, you know uh, we just got the notice that we have only a few minutes and um, how has that gone so quickly is it a first know. thought <laughs> I could talk like, to you for about right? a month is that accurate <laughs> I know it's great it's really I mean it's been a pleasure to have oh you here oh my god it's I, been I, so nice talking to I you I love it that was Fern Cotton thank you so much Fern To learn more about Fern's work, including her Happy Place podcast, her books, and her upcoming festivals, please visit www.happyplaceofficial.co.uk. Please come back next time on Wonderstruck, when I'll be talking about personal transformation, forest yoga, finding one's center through sewing, and the power of exceeding expectations with compassion-based resilience training expert, Nalanda Institute's own Roshana Green. Thank you for joining me for our first episode of Wonderstruck. For more information about the show, my guests, and some really exciting upcoming events, check out wonderstruck.org. And please subscribe to Wonderstruck on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. We truly want to hear from you with your feedback, reviews, and ratings. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at WonderstruckPod. Wonderstruck is produced by Wonderstruck Productions with the teams at Bailey Newman and Freetime Media. Special thanks to Brian O'Kelly, Eliana Elefthiru, Travis Reese, Tom Camuso, and Vox Pod Studio. Thank you for listening. And remember, be open to the wonder in your own life. 